You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. The perfect pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old with 40 years of pastoral experience. And above all, he's handsome. Okay, well, I got one. Anyway, um, the perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church meetings and all of its committees, never missing the meeting of any church organization, and he's always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next town over. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of your list. If everyone cooperates in one week, you'll receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should work. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got their old pastor back in less than three months. Now, as humorous as that all is, it's actually germane to what we've been talking about. For the past, I don't know, how many weeks have we been working through the book of 1 Timothy? Today, we're going to learn more about what God's design for pastors is, but not just for pastors, for the church body and for us individually. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4 today, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some pew Bibles uh, in the pews. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those. It is our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have the Word of God in your hands. Before we open up the Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please speak to us today. Father, please don't let my mouth speak out of turn or say anything that is not your Word for your people. Please soften our hearts and quicken our minds. Your word challenges us. Some things we don't want to hear. We cannot accept these things, these these commands, these exhortations without the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We, We simply do not have the proclivity to obey you. We're selfish. We are short sighted. So please, Father, awaken us. Awaken us as, like, like Ezekiel prophesying over the dry bones, which you then covered in flesh and filled with the breath of life. Please take us from where we are to where you want us to be. So Father, please speak only as you can speak. Words that created the universe, that healed people, that cast out demons, that brought dead people back to life. In the name that is above all names, Jesus, Messiah, we beg you. Amen. 
All right, let's take a look here at 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but Godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with a laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we have been working through the book of 1 Timothy for the past several weeks, discovering God's design for the church. And Timothy, as Adam has mentioned, was from the city of Lystra. His mother was Jewish, but his father was a pagan Greek, not a follower of Yahweh. Timothy, however, as a child, was taught the Jewish faith by his mother and his grandmother, but was not himself part of the Jewish community. He and his, his mother and his grandmother um, were more than likely converted by Paul during Paul's first missionary journey. By Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy had already become a strong believer and was well thought of by the local believers. Timothy became a student of Paul. On Paul's second visit to Lystra, Paul recognizes Timothy's faith and his character, and he invited Timothy to join him, to accompany him on his mission. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul calls him a faithful son in the Lord. We saw a few weeks back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that he wrote, Timothy, my true child in the faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he addresses Timothy as Timothy, my beloved child. So, and then Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to correct bad doctrine. Timothy was placed by Paul as the lead elder of the churches in Ephesus and charged with correcting errors and heresy, appointing other elders to lead the church. As we've worked through this letter to Timothy, we've seen that the church is the community of true believers. It's people. It's not a place. It's not a building. It's not a nonprofit organization. It's not a country club or a Rotary or Kiwanis club. It's unique. There is nothing else like the church in all of history and all the world. 
It's more like a hospital where people come and receive grace and mercy and healing. Which means that the church is comprised of broken people. That's true of everyone. From our youngest in the nursery to our oldest in assisted living. From our first-time guests to our pastors. We are all broken. We are all in need of grace and mercy. To pretend otherwise is is to become like the whitewashed tombs that Jesus spoke out against in Matthew 23 when he said, they look, like, they look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of dead and everything unclean. We've seen that the church must revolve around the gospel. Anything that becomes more important than the gospel is idolatry. We, the church, must be willing to sacrifice everything except the gospel for the sake of the gospel. The church is to be in prayer. We're to pray for all people. We're to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for our nation. We're to pray for other nations. We're to pray for the unbelievers. We're to pray for each other. The church is to be in prayer. The church is to be led by a plurality of elders. The New Testament uses the terms elder and pastor and overseer interchangeably. The singular pastor model, which has been so prevalent in Western cultures for so long, is unbiblical. It's unhealthy, it's untenable long term, but most importantly, it doesn't conform to how God said a church should function. The church is to be led by the elders and to be served by the deacons. The elders are to teach and to instruct and to train and to lead. The deacons are to take care of the physical needs of the congregation. And last week, we saw that the church is charged with protecting the truth. The church is charged with advocating sound doctrine. So now let's take a very close look at this passage today. Verses 1 and 2 says that the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. People, even in Timothy's day, the reason Timothy was even sent there was because error had started to creep into the church. And Paul is warning Timothy, it ain't over yet. It's going to get worse. People will start to say things directly contrary to Scripture. They're going to state that things that are clearly identified in Scripture as sin aren't sin anymore. And they're going to say that things that aren't prescribed against are sinful. Here's an interesting thing. Paul says that this kind of deviation from sound doctrine is demonic. So our brothers and sisters that are on both extremes, on the left-hand side and the right-hand side, whether they're opening up the floodgates to all types of behaviors and saying, it's okay, or saying, no, no, you have to do this, you have to eat this food, you have to worship on this Sunday, you have to dress like this, Both of these are heresy and straight from the pit of hell, Paul says. We need to take this seriously. 
We don't play fast and loose with the Scriptures. And Paul says that their consciences are seared. That means that they're desensitized. There are a lot of well-meaning people who are very sincere in their beliefs, but they're sincerely wrong. And this error is leading other people to hell. And that is not okay. And it is the responsibility of the elders of the church to train the members of the church to speak out against that heresy and defend the truth. Now, some of the very specific things that Paul talks about are in verses 3 through 5, forbidding marriage, demanding abstinence from certain foods. There are groups today that claim to be followers of Christ that have stipulated that there is an okay diet and a not okay diet, that there's a specific day on which you are to worship God and only that day. Paul actually directly addresses this in the book of Romans and says, no. We're to make sure that we are focused on the scripture, that we are teaching sound doctrine. There are groups that teach that hell is purgative rather than punitive. In other words, it's not permanent. It's not a place of permanent punishment, but it It is a place where your sins are burned off over time, and eventually, after your sins are burned off, you'll be allowed to go into heaven. That goes directly against every single teaching of Jesus Christ on the subject. That's not okay. And you can see that I get a little hot under the collar when I'm, you know, faced with these kinds of statements. There are some things in Scripture that are a little ambiguous. There are some things in Scripture that I just plain don't like. We talked about that in my community group. And God didn't give me the option of saying, I'll take this and I'll take this. As, as Pastor Adam said, it's, the Bible's not a buffet. You don't have a little of this and a little, of, I don't like that. So, I mean, I'm not touching that, but I'll have, no. You eat the whole thing or you don't eat anything. And we are to defend sound doctrine. There are some things which are clear law issues. Paul sets certain things, specific sexual behaviors, theft, gossip, murder. Paul puts gossip and murder in the same sentence, by the way. Let that sink in for just a second. These are definite sins. Those are clear law issues. They're not to be trifled with. Even under the New Testament, that's like, no, no, you don't go there. But some other things, we mentioned diet, where Paul says it's a wisdom issue. If you're around somebody who's a little weaker in the faith or whose conscience is a little different than yours on this issue, then be generous to your brother or your sister. But it's a conscience issue. Now, my, my wife's sick and tired of hearing this. But me personally, I think that a bacon cheeseburger is one of the most Christ-exalting meals one can have. I explained this to my, my, my parents and my, my sister the, this weekend. You see, here's why. Under the old covenant, you're not allowed to mix dairy and meat. So cheeseburgers are out the door. And obviously you're not allowed to have pork, so bacon's just not there. So by having a bacon cheeseburger, or if you really want to be spiritual, a bacon double cheeseburger, 
I mean, that's a celebration of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection right there. Not all of you will agree with me. I have brothers and sisters who are vegetarian, who are vegan, who are paleo, I don't know, whatever the heck else there is. If that's your conscience, go with it, roll with it. If you let me know that's your proclivity, I won't eat my bacon double cheeseburger in your presence. I'm okay one way or the other. I can have it, I cannot have it, just whatever. I'll eat a salad, I'm good with that. I might have the bacon double cheeseburger later. It's a conscience issue. It's a wisdom issue. But when the Bible is very clear, we cannot deviate from it. Now, in verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, if you point things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Part of Paul's instruction to Timothy is to teach the people, train the people. So for Adam, myself, for our residents who are, tr- who are in training right now, this is this definite application. Pay attention. Learn well. But do you realize that as a believer of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been appointed by God to be a priest to the unbelievers, which means it's your responsibility to be training them. Nobody's off the hook here. Nobody's off the hook. Paul tells Timothy that he sat under good teaching. He was nourished by Scripture and sound doctrine. And he has been equipped to teach others. However, Paul does admonish Timothy not to get caught up in pointless matters, pointless debates on things that have no real bearing. The enemy, I think, likes to keep us busy arguing about things that that don't really matter. We can get so bent out of shape on certain things, like exactly the order of the end times. Are you pre-trib, post-trib, ah-trib, mid-trib? Oh, Lord. I had a pastor friend of mine said, I'm pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. I'm worried about it. We'll argue about diet. (laughs) We'll argue about building. We'll argue about carpets. We'll argue about pews or chairs. We'll argue about worship style. We'll argue about everything. And that keeps us distracted. So Paul tells Timothy, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. How many of you have ever played competitive sports? How many of you have ever played? I've got like two hands. Okay. You know, um, when you're getting ready for competitive sports or even non-competitive sports, if you're just training to run a marathon, nobody just wakes up and says, I'm going to run a marathon today. At least nobody's sane. (laughs) Um, You kind of prepare for that kind of a thing, don't you? You know, um, if you've been in sports, the coach doesn't say, okay, next game is going to be this day. I'll see you guys then. There's usually practices, right? Training. Training is so important, and training is not lax. Training is not ambivalent. Training 
isn't just like, yeah, maybe. That's dreaming. Dreaming and training are two totally different things. Now, personally, I wish they weren't, but that's a different issue altogether. I confess I am one that does not put a whole lot of effort into physical training. I don't. I used to, many moons ago. But I've got so many other things I'm working on that I've had to make sacrifices in some areas of my life. I've had to make certain decisions. Are we training for godliness? I mean, seriously putting in effort. Or are we teaching it or, or tr- treating it more like, um, like uh, middle school PE class where we're just doing the bare minimum to get the participation points? I showed up to church this week. I'm good. Or are we training? And then Paul tells Timothy that this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Full acceptance. Think about those words, full acceptance. Not partial acceptance. Full acceptance. What says these words, this saying is trustworthy. What saying? Well, what he was just talking about, training. Train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This deserves full acceptance. In other words, take this seriously, and not just pastors. Training for every believer is vitally important. That's going to look different for each and every single one of us, though. I'll get to that later on when I get to the application aspect. You notice in your, your, your worship guides, there's what, there's so what, there's now what. What is just what the scripture says. So what is how it applies to you. And now what is what you do in response to that. So I'll give you some now what's at the end of this. Paul says, for this reason we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God. This is why we do this. We serve a living God. We don't serve an idol. We don't serve some man-made philosophy. We serve the God who created the universe. If he's not worthy of full acceptance, if he's not worthy of our training, if he's not worthy of our time and our energy and our effort, then nothing is. I've heard it said many times from many different people, show me your calendar and your checkbook registry, and I'll show you what you worship. Because we give our time and our resources to the things that are important to us. How many of us spend a little too much time watching TV or streaming Netflix (laughs) or playing video games or whatever, you know? Um... Even my own kids are like, yeah, yeah, you got me on the, on the video games. <laughs> is that really what's important? I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Um, is, that, <laughs> is that really what's important? I confess, there are times when I sit there doing something that it has no benefit to my life. I'm just wasting time. And time is the one non-renewable resource that we've got. 
Some of you know that a little bit more keenly than I do. I'm starting to realize this. There are certain dreams that I had as a, as a kid that, you know, you reach a certain age and you realize, I am never going to be able to do that. Wow, I let that one slip by me. Huh. This is worth full acceptance because we serve a living God. And Timothy is told to command these things. This blows me away. I'm sitting here reading this passage, and in verse 11, it's, he, Paul tells Timothy, command these things. We're Baptists. We don't do commands. We do passive-aggressive suggestions. you laughing, because you know it's true. <laughs> but Timothy was told to command. Wow. I'm not sure I like that. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. I am a Baptist. I don't have no stinking Pope. That's a harsh word. He's told to command and to teach. You see, here's the thing. Can you imagine Timothy reading this word, command and teach the people? And Timothy, Timothy was somewhere in his late 20s and early 30s. And he's dealing with people a lot older than himself. And when you're in your late 20s and early 30s and you're told, command the people, and you're like, really, God? I'm sure he's like, Paul, command. <laughs> Some of these people were... We're in retirement age before I was born. I can't command them. Well, how's that look? How do you do that? Well, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. So this is particularly for our residents. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Here's how. Set an example for the believers in speech and in conduct and in love. I like that third one, in love. In love in faith, and in purity. You command, and you teach, and you lead by example. You show people how to do it. Spiritual maturity has very little to do with chronological age, but it has everything to do with the aforementioned training. Timothy was a young minister, but he had gone through spiritual boot camp and he had been trained up and he had been mentored by Paul. Every single one of us, we have been commanded to defend truth and to fight for truth. In love, we are to lead by example I was at a conference many years ago, pastor's conference. It, as we broke for lunch, the leader of the conference encouraged us. He charged us with something. He says, okay, we're getting ready to go to lunch. And all of the restaurants in this area know about this conference going on. All of the restaurants in this area are fully aware of what's happening here, and they know that they're going to get flooded about this time and dinner time later on with people from this conference. And they know that you're here at this church, and whether you like it or not, you're representing this church, but more importantly, you're representing God. 
I'm going to share something with you. Christians have the worst reputation for being bad tippers. So I'm challenging every single one of you now, tip large. Tip big. You have the worst server in the world, doesn't matter. Be gracious and tip big. That was his challenge to us. Tip big. Be gracious. Freely you have received, so freely give. That stuck with me. That was in 2005. I don't remember anything else from that conference. I remember that challenge. And then, lastly, Timothy is instructed. Okay, I'm going to be coming to you. And until I get there, here's what I want you to do. Read the Scriptures publicly. Remember, the church is supposed to be founded and focused and centered on the Scriptures, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So read the Scriptures publicly. Exhort. That means to strongly urge or encourage someone. In other words, to command. Tell the people what to do. But then thirdly, show them how to do it. You read the Scriptures, you command them to do what's in the Scriptures, and then you show them how to do what's in the Scriptures. One of the reasons that we have established the residency here at Leewood Baptist Church, a church in revitalization where we don't have it all together, is so that we can train others. We can read the scriptures. We can say, here's what you're supposed to do, and then we can walk people through the process. Here's how you navigate the messiness, the brokenness of church life. Don't neglect your gifts. Practice. Train hard. Lead by example. Pay attention to your own walk and to your own words to make sure they're in alignment. Don't, in other words, be a hypocrite. Persevere. Keep pressing forward. Keep doing these things against opposition, against the odds, despite the temptation to give up or to give in. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy here in the last two verses of this chapter, keep on keeping on. It's going to be hard. There are going to be days when you want to throw in the towel. I'm sure Paul had days when he just really didn't want to stop making tents. Nobody ever got stoned and kicked out of a city for making tents, I don't think. But for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that happened to him repeatedly. He's telling Timothy to keep on. And the result... It's sanctification. It's salvation. People will hear the gospel. So what do we do with it? What's our takeaway? What do we do with that? Well, it depends on where you are. You know, one of the things that we do here to try to help with the training process is groups. We have two different kinds of groups. We have Sunday morning Bible studies, which are more academic in, in nature. They're a lot more about the what of what the scripture says, it's really important. We also have community groups, which are discipleship in nature, a lot more discussion. We go over the passage that was preached on the previous week as iron sharpens iron. But being in a community of people that can hold you accountable, that can train you, that, can, that you can ask questions of, that you can share concerns and thoughts with is vitally important. 
Periodically, we do institutes where we teach something else specific. We have deacons whose responsibility is to call and to check up on you. If you're a deacon, your responsibility is to call and check up on people. How many of you don't, please don't raise your hand. This, this is rhetorical. The one time I'm asking a rhetorical question, how many of you have a daily Bible reading or daily devotion time? There are so many different ways of reading scripture for self-training. There's, you know, your, your classic read the Bible through in a year. That can be a bit daunting. If you are interested in reading the scriptures in a systematic, thorough way, but you're not sure where to start, please let me know. Let Pastor Adam know. Talk to me after service. Send me an email. Schedule a time to meet with me during the week. I'm bivocational, so I don't have like standard office hours all the time. Um, I'd be happy to sit down with you and come up with a plan that works for you, whether we're talking about a read the whole Bible through in one year, three years, 20 years, um, you know, or there's also short directed readings. I want to study the Holy Spirit. I want to study Jesus' words on X topic, whatever. There are so many different reading plans that are available for this. There are so many excellent devotions out there. Uh, just this morning, um, Roxy and Mike were talking about Spurgeon's mornings, uh, morning to morning and evening to evening, or combine them together. It's Spurgeon's mornings and evenings. Yeah, that's, I mean, if you're a real go-getter, I mean, you're reading the devotion in the morning, you're reading the devotion at night, and you're reading the Bible through in a year. I mean, he was an intense man. Are you training? If you would like help in learning, here's something, light bulb. The elders, Adam and myself, we're to train, we're to teach, we're to empower. Think of us as personal trainers. We can show you the exercises to do, but you still got to do them. Are you training? Are you preparing yourself to be able to defend the truth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, You are amazing, God. You are astounding. And Lord, we often we don't know we often don't know what to do in response to your word. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know that. I pray that you would challenge us and convict us. I pray that you would take these words Take this scripture and that you would shape us into what you want us to be individually, but also corporately as a church. We are yours. The church is your bride, Lord Jesus. Father, we want to know you more, to love you more. Please convict us. Show us what it is within us that is keeping us from being totally sold out for you and training hard. In your most holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.
Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music